Our epistle lesson this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only as a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God Who gives the growth? He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks this morning that you minister to us in Jesus, that he's the one who builds your church, that he is the one who opens the eyes of our hearts through the work of your spirit. And we ask that you would do that. Open our eyes and ears that we may see and hear wonderful and good news in this portion of your scripture. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're in a series following the Psalms of Ascent, which are also called Traveler's Songs. And these psalms are ancient Israelite hymns that travelers would sing on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year. And these songs were used for more than just passing the time. They were more than just playing games in the van. They were meant to shape Israel's life. These songs and these hymns were used to shape the way they related to each other, shape the way they related to the world around them, and then ultimately to shape the way they related to the God of Israel, the one true and living God. So we come to the middle of these traveler psalms to Psalm 127, and this is a psalm that grounds us in dependence on God. Now, a few weeks ago, Cassie and I were watching the movie Christopher Robin, was recently came out in, the, in 2018. If I ruin this movie for you, I'm sorry. The movie follows the life of a grown-up Christopher. By now, he's married, he has a wife, and he has a daughter. And he spent three years away from them in World War II. And by the time he gets back, he comes home, and he stops fighting the war, and he begins to fight the daily grind of life as an efficiency manager in a local London luggage company. And very early in the movie, you notice something has died inside Christopher Robin. He, he's lost the spark in his eye that he had while he was playing with his best friends in the Hundred Acre Wood. Whether it was his, it, it could have possibly been his father's early death that caused him to lose that spark. Or it could have been the discipline of boarding school, a place where he was not allowed to draw his pictures of his best friends. Or it could have been the war, 
or the daily grind of life in a luggage company in London. And frankly, it was probably some combination of all of these. But he's jaded and he's cynical. He's lost sight of what made life significant, what gave life joy, what gave him meaning. So much so when his daughter, Madeline, finally gains the courage to tell him that she never sees him anymore because he's always at work, he callously responds to her and says, well, I wish I didn't have to stay for work, but dreams don't come for free, Madeline. You have to work for them. Nothing comes for free. Do you understand? See, Christopher Robin was preoccupied with building something. He was preoccupied with building himself, preoccupied with building his own dreams, preoccupied with making a name for himself, believing that making a name for himself would make him significant. Friends, all of us have the propensity to be a grown-up Christopher Robin, right? We all have the propensity to build our own kingdoms. We're preoccupied with building a name for ourselves, and so we labor day in, And day out, groping in the darkness, hoping to find significance by making a name for ourselves. Yes, you may build an exceptional business with extraordinary profit margin. Or you may raise productive, independent, successful children. You may accomplish extraordinary educational feats. You may get your doctorate. Or maybe your kingdom is simply getting your kids to sit still so you don't get sideways glances in church and in the grocery store. But y'all, we're all building our own little kingdoms. But if these endeavors are accomplished, if they're achieved in a vacuum, if they're accomplished without reference to God, then they are ultimately in vain. And they're in vain because they're done without God's participation. And so Psalm 127 points its finger right there, right there at us, and suggests that dependence on God is the only way to eternal success. God is the one who builds. He is the one who watches. And so we depend on his blessing and providence with all of our lives. It suggests that dependence on God is the way of eternal significance. So what's dependence look like in Psalm 127? What are the spheres of life in which we're encouraged to depend on the Lord? Well, the first we see in verses 1 to 2, we see that we depend on God in our vocation. To find significance, we begin with dependence on the Lord in our vocation. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city... The watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, the psalm addresses two vocations, builder and watchman. And these are two necessary and common vocations in the life of Israel. People would build their own homes, or they would hire someone to build their homes for them, not unlike today. We hire people to become builders, to build our homes. And especially during times of political uncertainty, watchmen were stationed around the walls and the gates of Jerusalem and the major cities to protect the city during times of possible enemy invasion. So these were relatively common. 
in the life of Israel. And so this song is not rebuking hard work. It's not encouraging you to stop your work. It's not encouraging you to sit on your hands and twiddle your thumbs. These are necessary vocations, necessary vocations in the life of Israel. And there's a lot more of them. And y'all, there's a lot of necessary vocations in our world. Things that we are meant to work hard in, where we are to give ourselves in hard work. But the psalm here is commending dependence in the middle of that hard work, in the midst of it. And so you don't busy yourself eating the bread of anxious toil, believing that all of the significance of your business venture or your vocation all rides on your shoulders. Because frankly, folks, in the grand scheme of things, you are not that powerful. Right? You come to the end of yourself at some point. You are not that powerful. You are not in that much control of your life. And so you depend on the Lord and your vocation. Eric Little was an Olympic runner, Olympic track star, running the 100 meter and the 400 meter in the 1920s. He was running for the British Olympic team in the 1924 Olympics. His nickname by his team and by the public was the Flying Scotsman. Man, what a great name, right? But he was also a missionary. He had grown up in the mission field in China. His parents were missionaries, and he came back to the British Islands to attend college, and he had made a commitment to go back to China as a missionary. But first he had to run. First he had to run. One day he was training for the Olympics, and he missed a prayer service at his church, And his sister went looking for him. And his sister accosted him. She accused him of betraying God. She accused him of not caring about the Lord or caring about his his mission in China. And little, Eric Little, reassured his sister that he, he really does love the Lord, that he really does believe he has been called as a missionary. But first, he had to run. He said to her, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You see, Little's vocation in the early 1920s was to run. And he ran harder than everyone else. He ran uglier than everyone else. People say he clawed at the air. But he ran harder And he ran harder, not because he was trying to make a name for himself, but because he knew what dependence was like. He ran hard in dependence on God, knowing that it was God who smiled down on him. He didn't live in the illusion of autonomous success, but he trusted God and he stumbled into significance, which looked much more like faithfulness than it did like the American dream or Western success. And so you depend on God in your vocation, friends. And then the second sphere of life is that we depend on God for our families. To have significance on our family and through our family is to depend on God for them. Look at verses three through five. Behold, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. 
Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The psalm here shifts from work, from vocation, to the family. Now, these are the two basic building blocks of any society. And so by saying this, by saying that you depend on the Lord in your work and your family, they're saying, the psalmist is, is saying, you depend on God for everything. But particularly here, we depend on God for our family. And it uses the language of heritage to refer to children. Now, this is Old Testament language that was often used to refer to the land of Canaan as a heritage or an inheritance, a gift from God to the people. It didn't depend on what they had done or what they had not done. God had promised to give that land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so God gave it to them as an inheritance. And so just as the land was a gift from God, so children are a gift from the Lord, a gift to parents. And then he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons of one's youth. It's particularly talking about sons here in verse 4. And so they become assets, these sons, these children. They become assets for you. And he says that they are so much assets that you won't be put to shame in the gate when you speak to your enemy there. Now, the gate of the city was the functional courtroom for Israel. It was, if you had a legal dispute and it ended up in the courtroom, you went to the gate of the city and you had a verbal battle and you argued and you pled your case. And friends, it greatly helped your case if you walked into the courtroom with a bunch of sons, a bunch of young, strapping, strong men that you have raised. Because in the ancient world, having a bunch of sons was considered a blessing from God. They were considered uh, to make you significant in the eyes of the people. And so you won't be put to shame. They become assets when you depend on God. But some of you are probably thinking, John, I don't really feel like my kids are assets. <laughs> they're, they're more like liabilities. <laughs> and there's a really great commentator on the Psalms who says just that. He's profoundly honest. He says, God's gifts are as unpretentious as they are miraculous. And it's not untypical of God's gifts that they are first liabilities or at least responsibilities before they become obvious assets. The greater their promise, the more likely that these sons will be a handful before they are a quiverful. Take heart, friends. Take heart. You're, the difficulty of raising children is not lost on God. It's not lost on the Psalms. And the Psalm is frankly not seeking the American ideal. It's not seeking perfection. It seeks to ground you in dependence on God. It's seeking to get you to believe that God is the one who builds your home that he's the one who takes care of you. Now, I know there are lots of scenarios represented in this room as well, lots of other scenarios. Some of you have a deep longing within you to be a mom or a dad, and it's just not happening. Some of you have a deep longing to have more children, and you're struggling to do so. 
Some of you have broken relationships with your parents, and frankly, you don't feel like you're a heritage or a blessing to them. And then some of you, for various reasons, have broken relationships with your children. So some of the questions that might be popping up in your mind are, what have I done to make God angry at me? Does this mean God doesn't care about me? What do I have to do to get back on his good side? What's wrong with me? But friends, you need to hear this morning that that's not at all what this psalm is seeking to create in you. That's not at all what this psalm is saying. God is not vindictive. He has no need to be vindictive. He's too much in control for that. But you do live in a broken world, a world that doesn't function as it should, nor does your body function as it should, nor do relationships function as they should. But what this psalm is saying is that whatever lot you've been cast in this life, the only way for true and lasting significance is through dependence on God in your work and family, dependence on God with all of your life. Because frankly, friends, work and family involve a mysterious uncertainty. These are human endeavors, right? We put a lot of effort, lots of time and money into vocation and family. But human effort is not determinative. Hard work doesn't always produce results. Marriage doesn't always produce children. And so there's always uncertainty. But external realities don't always match the internal dynamics of your relationship with God. You have to know that this morning. And so you depend on God. The psalm is seeking to ground you in dependence on the Lord, not on dependence on your work or on your family. Because God is the one who builds the house. God is the one who watches over the city. And then this psalm takes a fresh meaning when we interpret it in light of the corporate context of the Psalms of Ascent. And remember, these pilgrims would sing this song as they traveled to Jerusalem. They would sing these songs as they were traveling to the house of God, which was housed inside the city of God, Zion, inside Jerusalem. And they were going to the city where the son of David sat. The sons of David sat. So this is both an individual song, but it's also corporate. And both this temple and this city were built by the great King Solomon. He's the one who built the house of God. He built the temple, but what else did he do? He built a house for himself, a house that was more extravagant, that was bigger than the temple. He brought peace to Jerusalem, but he did so by amassing an enormous army and gaining victory for himself and for Jerusalem through his own strength. He also collected hundreds of wives and concubines to fill his quiver with sons. And what did he have to show for it? When he died, his sons split the kingdom. And frankly, this, this psalm is the only psalm in all of the songs of ascent that is ascribed to Solomon. 
And I think it's credited to him less as author as it is to him as subject. Because the world he built, he did so in his own strength, without reference to God, without submitting to him and depending on him, trusting him to build the house and to build the city. And the city was a wreck, and so was the temple. But friends, we do have a better Solomon. We have a better king. We have Jesus. Jesus is the temple. He is the house of God, the dwelling place of God with man. He is, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, the foundation of the church. He is the builder of the church. God is the one who gives the growth. And all of us, we're just mere servants. We do what God tells us to do inside his church. We water, we plant, but God is the one who gives the growth. And Jesus is the great son of David. He is the rightful heir to the throne of Zion, and he sits at the right hand of God, waiting for the time he has the privilege to bring back his eternal city down to earth and to make the eternal dwelling place of God with man. He sits waiting for that day. And unlike King Solomon, and unlike you and me, Jesus depended on his Father, on God, all the way. He is the only one who depended entirely on God. Not my will, but yours be done, he said. So we do have a better King Solomon And we can trust and depend on God because of him. Because he's the one who came to make his dwelling place among human beings. So by the end of Christopher Robin, you see Christopher and Winnie the Pooh sitting on their log that they used to sit on when when Christopher was a boy. And they're looking out at the sunset. Christopher brought his family, his wife and his daughter, to meet his best friends. And Winnie and Chris are sitting there, and Winnie the Pooh asks Christopher, Christopher Robin, what day is it? And he responds, it's today. And Winnie says, oh, my favorite day. Mine too, Winnie. Mine too. You see, Christopher was able to rest, to live in today, not eating the bread of anxious toil because he had found significance outside himself. He had learned dependence outside himself. So have you found what Eric Little found? Have you found that your significance lies in dependence on God? And that significance in the economy of God looks much different than it does here that significance in the economy of God looks more like faithfulness than it does the American ideal? Or are you still groping in the dark, eating the bread of anxious toil? Because, friends, you will not find significance there. You will just continue to eat anxiously. You will only find anxious toil when you depend on yourself or when you depend on your work or you depend on your family. 
So depend on God, and you will stumble into eternal significance, and he will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are the one who gives us rest, that you are the one who makes us significant. Thank you that we don't have to continue to eat the bread of anxious toil. Thank you that we don't have to depend on ourselves. Thank you that you are the one dependable one. Our only help in times of trouble. So we ask, Lord, that you would continue to minister to us. Give us strength to believe that. Give us strength to cast all of our burdens on you. Give us strength to trust you with all of ourselves. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.